Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Champions League is back and how good is that? Now please win over Liverpool headlines. Today's Gagan Pod, of course, David Wiener with you and I'm joined today by John Aloisi and Craig Moore. A great show ahead. I can't wait. Let's get stuck in. John, welcome back. Good to see you again at Optus. And Craig, for the first time on the Gagan Pod this year, welcome back to Optus Sport. Great to see you. Thanks, Craig. Great to be back. You yeah, managed to, to get a start. Um, there's a few few that have come in. The recruitment's gone well. Yeah, Johnny and, and Muskie on board, but I uh, managed to slip in today, which was nice. Now I needed some uh, reassurance in front of me uh, in, the, in the back four. Uh, we're coffeeed up. We're ready to go. It's been a great morning, but a long morning. Eight games behind us. Um, what did you pick out from this morning? Liverpool, the champions gone down yeah no it was a it was a great game it was um pretty even most of the time you, you'd say Liverpool had their chances Napoli did have theirs as well but in the second half Napoli started to get on top I was really impressed with uh, the way Ancelotti tactically set up for this game in, in terms of the way that they were playing out because Liverpool are great at pressing and we know they also great at counter pressing but um you know Napoli really got caught on the ball and they were able to get their fullbacks out a lot and uh, and they created their chances and in the end they they got their win yeah, I, I think, I mean, tactically you're right, An- Ancelotti. Um, a bit of a strange one in terms of um, pre-game. Klopp has, has kind of mentioned that um, in last year's Champions League in the group stages, uh, he was outfoxed a, a little bit in terms of the way that, that Napoli played. Uh, he expected them to play with one defensive midfielder, they played with two. So what he come up against tonight, it was kind of something that, um, you know... Made it was very it similar. Very No, I mean, very, very similar, but... As you touched on, Napoli did have some success in terms of with the with the two defensive midfielders. You know, having that extra person to potentially bounce out and get your right and left fullback out, and and they did do that well. Um, look, at the same time, Liverpool looked dangerous, and it always going to look dangerous with the players that they have going forward. Uh, but Napoli, when they had to when they had to defend and, and, and get bodies in and, and, and just that clever positioning in terms of, you know, delaying a pass or that desperation, they defended really, really well. They kind of had the perfect game plan in terms of maybe frustrating Liverpool slightly. In the end, they, they, they got their chances and they took them. I mean, Liverpool did lose all three group games away from home last year. This is four on the bounce in the group stage. So in that sense, as the European champions, is not a hell of a lot. You know, it's not disaster by any stretch of the imagination. But what can you read into it? What can you learn from it? What can Klopp take out of it that maybe uh, might be holding them back when they're away from home? Look, I think the biggest thing is that they, um, they're usually pretty clinical when they, uh, they get those opportunities. You saw one of them when Mane and uh, Salah went through two against one. The defender for Napoli did really well. I think it was uh, Mario uh, Luiz. Rui, I Rui, think it was, yeah, yeah. and um, and and he, he just uh, held his position, made sure he blocked that pass initially, made it hard for Mane. Mane actually overhit the pass, but normally Liverpool actually they, they when they counter like that, they normally punish teams, and that was the difference tonight. I think that Liverpool don't change the way they play; they they don't change the way they press. N- normally, they press a lot better 
I don't know if it was due to the conditions, whether it was very hot in, in Naples. I know Mark Swartzer mentioned it, that it was humid over there, so that could have had a part to play. Look, you, you can't start to criticise Klopp or Liverpool too much because the way that they went last season, the way they've started this season in the Premier League, they're still going to be there uh, towards the end of the season. Well, the five points clear in the Premier League, it's almost like uh, the rest of the chasing pack probably are grateful for this little halt in momentum because the, things were going so well for them. Um, Napoli, Craig, Serie A is very even this season. Inter, Juve, it's the first time in something like 500 days Juve are not top of the table there. Realistically, from what you saw today from Ancelotti's men, the group stage is a lot clearer for them this year than last year. Serie A is more competitive. What do you think their realistic ambitions should be this year from what, what you saw out of them? I think what, we, what we've seen already in the early part of the, the Serie A and, and, and again um, with the match in, in the Champions League is that there's some great talent there. Um, they've got a fantastic manager that has them well organised. Um, they have strengthened and spent some some money this season and brought some players in. So, you know, Juventus has had a stranglehold on on, on the CDR for, for so long. I think you know they're going for potentially the ninth um, CDR title in a row. Such has been their stranglehold. But as you're seeing in a lot of the the, the leagues now in Europe, uh, there's starting to be a, a slight shift, and maybe that that little opening for for teams to to take, um, I guess, that title away from the from the bigger clubs. You know, even you look at um, Spain; uh, it's not started <laughs> the way that people would normally think, Johnny. No, and and look with uh, Napoli, they're there to win it. They were there to win the Serie A. Worse, Ancelotti wouldn't be there. Well, they wouldn't have spent that money on the on Manolas at the back. Um, who had a good game this morning. He had one little mistake. He nearly got punished. But, uh, you know, they've got great players. You know, Alan in midfield this morning, along with uh, uh, Ruiz Fabian, uh, was very good. And then, you know, Insignia, Mertens. And then they were able to bring on Llorente. Not change their shape, but just have a, have a little bit of a, a different approach to the way that they play. They also they they, they added uh, Lozano, yeah, from uh, who come from PSV. I think it was, was 40 million... Euros uh, once uh, PSV sort of like come out of the the Champions League stage, so they they had to sell. But they've got a squad that that, that can certainly challenge. Um, and if they if they get that that run of form and belief, um, anything's possible this year. And I just I get that feeling. You know, we've had sometimes uh, in sport in general where I wouldn't say that Napoli are underdogs as such because they're they're a well organised team with with fantastic talent. But sometimes you just get that feeling that maybe something different is around the corner. And like I said, for me, I'm getting that feeling in not only in Italy. I think that, that there is change and in movement in certain directions in other countries as well now, which is quite exciting. Well, England could be one of them. I mean, Liverpool are five points clear and that still would be a change even though they've done so well in recent times. Uh, 1.30am this Monday morning, it's Chelsea. So uh, bounce back for Liverpool there. Is it just go back to what uh, has been going so well or is there some something that, you know, that, that they need to take out of this game to approach... This game against Chelsea? I don't think they'll change too much. I think they'll just bounce back. Um, like we said this morning, wasn't too much they did wrong. It was just that they didn't finish off their chances. And uh, you expect Napoli at home as well with the home fans. With uh, It's not an easy place to go and play. And uh, you, you expected them to have their opportunities. But, uh, you know, the front three of, uh, of Liverpool, they'll, they'll cause 
any team problems and, and you expect them to cause Chelsea problems this weekend? Well, Valencia did this morning, which was a real turn-up for the fans at Stamford Bridge because uh, after beating Wolves 5-2 on the weekend and Marcelino just been sacked by Valencia and they lost 5-2 to Barcelona, uh, Chelsea had 60% of the ball and couldn't score and went down to a sucker-punch goal to Valencia at home. Uh, this is an early blow, Craig, in a group that, yeah, they could have got tougher groups, Chelsea, with Lille and... Um, and uh, Ajax as well. Um, but dropping a point at home to a team in turmoil is not a great start. No, it's not. And especially when, like I said, you're at home, you really want to start the the group and the campaign off in the, in the best possible way. Uh, Chelsea probably created and done enough in the game uh, that, that probably should have seen a, a better result. Uh, so that would be quite disappointing. Um, you know, the... There has been a, a few opportunities, I guess, for players with the, the signing embargo as well, you know, like Tammy Abrahams. And unfortunately, there was an injury to, yeah, to, Mason, to, Mount. to Mason Mount, which um, hopefully that's not, that's not too long term. But, you know, that was something that happened the, this morning as well. Um, but like I said, winning, winning games, especially Champions League games, European games at home is very, very important. Um, they didn't get that. They will probably be talking about the Barkley situation in terms of the, the penalty. I know uh, Lampard has, has come out after the game and said, well, he's our penalty taker. That's probably just to make sure that there's no follow-up or flow-on from the media, John. I don't know what you think there. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is because out on the pitch, it didn't. they didn't seem like they knew who the penalty taker was. It seemed like Barkley was pushing, not pushing the others away, but making sure that they knew that he had it. Because we all know that Jorginho's taken a lot of penalties for Chelsea and, and also when he was at Napoli. And uh, so he, he, we know that he can take penalties. He's actually a, a very good penalty taker. William as well. Um, so when you aren't the penalty taker and you step up and take it, you have to put it away. Or else there's going to be these questions asked. Yeah. Not only in the media, but in the changing room, you know, after the game, because that's a bad loss for Chelsea. The, losing at home, especially to a team like Valencia that were in turmoil um, recently because of Marcelino getting sacked, the players coming out saying they're not happy with the owner for sacking a, a manager that won their first trophy in 11 years, qualify for Champions League, um, you know, that, that's a bad result. I couldn't have two better references here to talk about penalties. We've scored probably two of the highest pressure penalties for Australia in our history. But you've, in that moment, you've, you've got to have clarity of purpose, right? Because if Barkley's standing there and you look at the vision on Optusport social accounts today, he's basically going to his teammates, I got this, I got this, I got this. Surely from, from that moment, what is it like mentally stepping up to take that penalty? You know what? That's the thing that you don't want is to have a discussion with one of your teammates but while you're, you're stepping up to take a penalty because you want to be focused. As soon as the penalty is given, you, you just want to have your, your mindset on what you have to do and what's at hand. You don't want to be discussing with your teammates, I've got this or are you going to take it or, or whatever else because then, then you, you lose your, your, your focus a little bit and you lose your confidence a little bit. I'm not saying that's the reason why he missed. I just don't think it's a good look as well. Well, I think you're right, John, and I, we, we've had many discussion about um, that penalty that, that you take, uh, but you were clear that you wanted to take the, the fifth penalty. It was very clear in your mind about where you were going to put it, what you were going to do, the preparation. And, and I think that's very, very important. Like I said, you know, if, if you – that's different because it's a shootout, but if you're the designated penalty taker, for example, and I can go back to the situation against Croatia, where, you know, Hiddink had asked who, who was, who was going to take the penalties if something had come up in any of the games. And I was like, yeah, I'll, 
I'll take the penalty. And he was like that, brilliant. He says, if um, if that happens, you take the penalty. If you're not confident, then we'll, we'll delegate from there. And there were a couple of others. I think Lucas was certainly somebody at that stage who was putting his hand up to take penalties as well. But it was kind of then, it was up to, to the player to then decide on the field, Johnny. Yeah. Um, but I think you can do that very quickly without getting that little bit of a huddle, delay, and all of a sudden, like I says, when you, when you do miss a penalty, uh, it just, unfortunately, it just leaves um, a few cracks and a little doors that are, that are open there for people to criticise and, and start asking more questions, which is not, is not healthy. No, but it becomes a talking point, doesn't it? We saw it with Marcus Rashford and Paul Pogba. Uh, you almost walk into the situation, don't you, where in Pogba's instance, if he took the penalty it's or missed the penalty, it's not a story, but the fact that uh, he took it off Rashford, it, it, it was, and vice versa. Um, how big is that mental game? When and I'll ask you about the Croatia one because that was in the heat of the moment, a huge furnace. The moment the whistle goes, it must be an advantage mentally to know, right, this is mine. Yeah, again, I was I was very very clear, and and I was also very very clear that I wasn't having a fantastic game up until that point, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we, so we, you went safe with oh, your penalty? Oh, we a very safe. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, look, I just think. Um, it was very clear. I think when you go up and, and and you know that you're going to be taking a penalty, you you, you have a a clear sort of like visual image of how you're going to take that penalty, the contact you want on the penalty. And for me, it was just about striking the ball. Uh, and I believe that if I if I made good contact on the ball, that I would score. And I, I think we've had this conversation. You were put it a lot more in the corner than what I did uh, uh, in terms of your penalty. And the goalkeeper, thankfully, when I took that penalty against Croatia, went down very very early. Um, but it's about making good contact. You see, you see some players nowadays when they step up and they're trying to sort of like outfox the goalkeeper. Um, that certainly, I didn't have that in my locker, and it wouldn't be in the way that I would step up to take a penalty because I think if you do miss and you are going to be criticised, I want to be making sure that you're you're striking the ball and giving it the best opportunity to get in, rather than be clever. Yeah, and, and look, what Russ Barkley did today is is always dangerous. When you try and hit it high, you you, you know you've got that element of failure that if you, if you do overhit it or do just get un, under it a little bit, it, it can go over the bar or hit the bar. A short run up as well. I, I'm yeah. I'm not a big fan of short run ups. Yeah, I, look, I wasn't either. I had my run ups set out uh, most of the time that it was around the 18 yard box, and 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 for me that was enough. Um, and it was also enough to make sure that the goalkeeper, all right. If, if, you know, if you're going to move early, I, I can still maybe change my mind because I can see uh, still a little bit. Not that I l- used to look at the keepers. I was quite clear in my mind of where I was going to go. But, um, yeah, that disappointing for Ross Barkley, disappointing for Chelsea this morning that he missed. Yeah, last question on penalties, the delay. Sometimes, you know, goalkeepers try to you know, milk some time or the opponent tries to milk time. Even worse when your own teammates are doing that. What does that do to you when there is a delay? I was going to say, with VAR nowadays... The delay is long. Yes. And and that can play a part, especially if you're not having a good game and you, you start to overthink, you start to go, okay, well, you know, hopefully I, I hit this well. Hopefully, you know, the, the keeper's going this way or going that way. That, that can play a little bit on your mind. You start to question yourself a little bit. If you're having a good game, then you'll have no issues with it. But uh, I think that you, you have to be clear and you have to be confident um, because if there is a delay, then uh, you, you can't have the, the, that little voice in your head <laughs> giving you doubts. Yeah. But I think you also, uh, you need to be brave enough that if you're not, just because you might be the designated penalty taker, 
if you're if you're not in the right headspace and you're not having the right game, or you've taken a penalty and then it needs to be retaken because of VAR or there's been encroachment or what have you. Sometimes you don't see it enough, but sometimes you just got to be brave enough to say that you know what, maybe maybe this penalty is not for me, and it is for somebody else. I did it once uh, when I was playing for Sydney FC. It was uh, against Melbourne Victory uh, in one of the semi-finals. I no, it was actually uh, the last game of the season. I wasn't uh, not that I wasn't confident. I, my body wasn't feeling good. I, I was carrying an injury that um, I was out on the pitch, but I didn't feel confident. So I let uh, Carol Kissel take it, and um, it was. Uh, after the game, uh, Popper was our assistant coach and he, he asked me, he said, well, you know, that was strange that you didn't take the penalty. And he goes, you're not feeling good. And I said, nah, physically, uh, I'm done. And um, <laughs> the next game, I think I did get injured. So it was, I was clear in my mind, I wasn't confident in taking that penalty because of my body. Fascinating. Great stuff, guys. Well, speaking of penalties, though, Barcelona, uh, Marc-Andre de Stegen, he was the hero on the other side of the fence this morning, uh, thwarting Marco Royce a couple of times from the penalty spot and in general play. And uh, Barcelona, even though it wasn't them at their fluid best, they'll be very happy with this point because they've been two different teams home and away so far this season. They've been terrible away from home. They lost to Athletic Bilbao uh, first game with Andoris scoring that brilliant bicycle kick. And then they drew with Osasuna um, away from home. At home, they've been superb. Um, so for this game here, they were lucky. They were lucky yeah. this morning because even though they had uh, most of the possession, Dortmund were uh, great going forward, created enough chances to win that game. And, and Ter Stegen was, was brilliant in goals. And not only the penalty, which... He was very nonchalant <laughs> when he got up and took the the, the, the second ball, the <laughs> rebound. But um, also in general play, he saved him a number of times and Dortmund hit the crossbar. Alcazar should have scored at the near post. Uh, Dortmund will come away from that feeling that uh, they should have had or should have got the three points. They're an interesting team. Uh, they actually beat Leverkusen on the weekend 4-0. And, and I looked back and they had less than 40% of the ball. So they can play both sides, but they can play with the ball. They can play counter-attack. They're a joker in this pack now, in this group of death, particularly given this group is tighter than we all thought because Slavia Prague were fantastic this morning against Inter Milan, well worth the point at least. Well, very much so. I mean, I, I, I do still remember saying this morning, though, that you just feel that, that there's still something in this game for, for Inter, um, but certainly a fan, fantastic performance by Slavia Prague. Um, but, yeah, look, I mean, obviously with the, with the Dortmund-Barcelona game, Dortmund are a very, very good side. You look at how well they started their season last year. You know, early shout was Bayern Munich are, are in turmoil and we're going to go out and spend $200 million and, and And kind of unfortunately, I guess, with the, with, with the scheduling, again, we, we touch on depth of, of squads when you're involved in, um, you know, a, a real title race and then European competitions. It, it can become quite difficult. And Bayern Munich ended up getting into gear um, with some confidence and going over the top of, of Dortmund in the end, but again they've started they've started very well. They play a, a great brand of football. They do have a little bit of flexibility in terms of they they can dominate and hurt teams. They can sit. They can be a little bit smarter. They've got players that can hurt you on transition. But you know, at home uh, they would have still looked to try and win that that game of football. John uh, Barcelona will certainly be the the, the the happier out of the two. And um, Barcelona going through a little bit of change, but, you know, with Messi being out injured, Suarez coming back in, scored a couple of goals at the weekend as a sub coming on uh, against Valencia. Uh, so they still they still have firepower. Yeah, they still have firepower. They look, they'll still be good, especially at home. 
You know, they they you expect them to get through the group. I, I thought this could be uh, this was going to be their biggest test. All right, they still need to go to Inter and and you know still need to go to Slavia Prague, but um, this was their biggest test because. Dortmund have started the season well. Like you said, they're great in transition, and a lot of that has to do with Jado Sancho. He he's just, you know, not only is he quick, the way he runs at players, he, he got the penalty mm. this morning. Um, he started the season really well, and and you can see why there's so so many people talking about him. That you know that he's a future prospect for Manchester United. More assists than anyone in Europe's top five leagues since the start of last season, and this is in his sort of breakthrough period. Well, we're talking about Germany, so. Bayern play Red Star Belgrade tomorrow with obviously uh, Milos Degenek in there. Um, RB Leipzig this morning winning at Benfica. Timo Werner, the sort of one of the up and coming star, up and coming. He's a bona fide twenty three year old star in Germany. First uh, best start they've ever had in the season. One 0 with Bayern on the weekend. Those three teams, those yeah. three teams. It's a, it's a, that's another. You talk about wind change of. Direction earlier, the Craig. This is a fantastic little race as well. Yeah, well, we spoke about um, you know in Italy you've got Napoli, Juventus, Inter that you think that can win it. Um, in Spain, you know, again you've got about four teams that you can go win it. And in Germany, with Leipzig, the way they're going, and Leipzig that you saw this morning to win away to Benfica is is hard. It, it's not easy to go away from home, and but not only win the way they play. And their second goal was probably one of the goals of the morning. You know, it was only a tap in in the end, but yeah, it was yeah. just their build up and the way they their movement and their, their the way they were able to penetrate Benfica and good win for them and uh, great start for the season. Probably the only the one surprise that I have with um, with Leipzig at the moment is that they managed to keep a hold of Werner mm. uh, for, for, because he had a fantastic season last year as well and there was a lot of talk, a lot of speculation about potentially him moving on. Um, so they'll be, they'll be very happy that they've kept a hold of him. They'll be very happy that he started the season so well and he's scoring goals because that'll obviously increase his value and eventually the, the model at Leipzig is they will sell him. Well, that was one of a, a bag of really interesting results this morning. Leon won all with Zenit at the 3 a.m. kickoff. Inter, we mentioned, won all with Slavia Prague. Slavia Prague's reaction to the draw was so funny, where their, uh, what, their delegation was laughing at the draw. But they showed they'll be, a, they'll, they'll be up for it now that they've waited so long to get there. They were absolutely fantastic. Chelsea, well, they lost 1-0, as we said. Ajax, 3-0 against Lille. A really great to see that they picked up where they left from last year without uh, Frankie de Jong and, and Matisse de Litt. We talk about the players they lost, but the players they've kept and the players they've signed, fantastic stuff. Yeah, they've signed some good players. You know, Promes uh, scored the first goal uh, coming from Sevilla. This is where you have to give credit to Ajax. Ajax, their model is to bring through young players through their academy. But if they're not quite ready, they don't mind going to sign players and they haven't got the money to, to really go overspend. So they have to make sure their scouting is good. Mm. And, and you have to give credit to Overmars and Van der Sar. Mm. They got that right. And um, and again, you think that they'll be a force in in Europe? No one's expecting them. They're, you know, they they struggled just to make this stage because you know they had to to get through the qualifying stages, but they got through, and now um, you know they're in a good position to get through this group. Yeah, terrific result for them this morning. Second goal, I think, had eighteen passes in the lead up, so they're not losing any of that you know that style that they had last year. Benfica one, uh, Leipzig two, as we mentioned. Dortmund nil with Barcelona, Napoli two nil Liverpool, and Salzburg six Ghent. Two uh, with 19-year-old uh, Norway striker Erling Haaland scoring that hat-trick. Amazing stuff. What a talent. And that's what we love about the Champions League. We see players that we wouldn't normally see and what a story uh, he is as well. Is, is he the third youngest to, to score a hat-trick in the European stage? That's right. On Rooney, the European stage? Rooney, is, Rooney was ahead and I think the other one was Raul. So 
incredible company to be keeping. Jao Phoenix, Felix, last year, did he score a hat-trick in... Europa League. Europa, okay, Europa League, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, no, look, and he looks... Uh, Alan looks a, a big, physical type of player, puts himself about, certainly knows how to how to score goals, uh, and that, that turned out to uh, a bit of a blowout this morning. Yeah. Um, but fantastic for Salzburg, you know. It's a, it's a great way to, to start the campaign, to score freely at home, to have a big result... Look, they'll be going out and enjoying the group stages, but that's a, a perfect possible way to start. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Now we've got to, we won't speak for too long about Thursday's games because we know people listen to this all throughout the week, but we will touch on that massive game with Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid only because what an interesting time for both clubs. We spoke last week, Johnny, about the pressure that both those managers are under, but all of a sudden, a few injuries, the, the storylines are keep going and on and on and on, both in Paris and in Madrid. Yeah, well, we, we know that um, Paris Saint-Germain have got a few players out. Cavani's still injured. Mbappe, who uh, tore a muscle early in the season, is still out injured. Then you've got Neymar that's still suspended from some of his comments at the end of last Champions League campaign. Um, Icardi's come in. They still, I don't find that they found their cohesion yet with the new players and, and some of the, their other players. Tuchel's under pressure. He, uh, they scraped through on the weekend against Strasbourg at home, you know, with Neymar, mm. a bit of Neymar brilliance. And uh, so, look, you still expect them to win, you know, uh, Liga, but in Champions League, I'm not so sure. I, and they want to win. They're not just confident or the, the club don't just want them to get out of the group stage. They want to go all the way and win. And... Uh, I'm not sure that uh, they've got enough to do that. Imagine if they go out the round of 16 or quarters again, Craig. Again, again. It'll be absolute turmoil there. Yeah, and I can kind of um, see a similar situation. I kind of agree with John. I think that they're fantastic on the eye when they're good, um, but whether or not they're good enough to, to, to go deep and, and really make an impact in this competition, I don't think so. Rightio, then give us an answer. Thank you very much for that. Uh, speaking of Real Madrid, uh, John... Jose Mourinho, we're going to go one with the old one-word answer to this and then a bit of an explanation. Jose Mourinho back at Real Madrid would be? Great for La Liga. That wasn't one word. <laughs> and I'll give you an explanation. He's a storyline. Every week he's got something. He, he's a character for the league. And, uh, you know, a lot of people either love him or hate him. Uh, probably majority uh, hate him. <laughs> Definitely polarises. <laughs> because just the way he, he, he conducts himself. and But, you know, that's all a show. It, it's He knows how to get the best out of his team. Eventually, you know, that it does catch up on him a little bit, you know, two, three years down the track, and then uh, he has to leave the club. But um, I think he's lining himself up for mm. this job. And, and I'll tell you why, because some of his comments that's come out just recently in one of his interviews was that he loved coaching Real Madrid the best. He loved La Liga. He loved Madrid. It made him a better coach, coaching against Messi. You know, he, he said the club was the biggest club he's been at. Now, I think a few years ago he said that about Inter. <laughs> so for him to come out and say that, I'm not sure whether he's been hit up a, a little bit already. He won't go during the season. He's already mentioned that he would only take over a job in the off-season so then he can build his own side. Um, I think that Real Madrid might go in. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. From if they don't get the results this year. Because mm, we asked that, of course, Craig, because Zizzle already is really under the pump. Yeah, but well, he, he is. Um, and I just think it's been a, a, it's been a pretty ordinary uh, build up to the season for Real Madrid. The whole uh, Gareth Bale saga for me, um, you know, certainly can't help out a football club. And it just seemed to drag on and on and on. Is he, is he staying? Is he going? Well, clearly Zidane wanted him out the door um, because he was quoted and, and, and come out and clearly had said it. Um, but there was a, a change of, of view or or I, I guess from where the power sits in terms of, no, 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 well, Gareth Bale's going to stay with us and... You know, Gareth Bale has performed and done and done well for for Real Madrid. You know, he, he comes on, he he scores important goals and has done for some time. Uh, and again, this is this is where every day he'll be under scrutiny every single day. And so when we talk about the top top players, and uh, you know, he might he's not he's not the world's best player, but these these players are every single move that they make is 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 monitored and scrutinised and. To still be able to go out and perform, I think, is, is um, you know, it's really good job for, for Gareth Bale. So Dan's got some uh, some work to do, I guess, to probably instill a little bit of confidence uh, with the club and also, uh, you know, the fan base because massive expectations. You're, you're, a, you're a big club that expected to win trophies year in, year out. Yeah, and, and look, this is called uh, Zizou Cup, really, the, the Champions League. The, the way he's won it, not only as a player, but then as a coach, you know, with, with that volley that he did score against Bayer Leverkusen going back at Hampden Park. It was, uh, you know, unbelievable. It's down in history is one of the best. But... Um, Look, they were good on the weekend for 60 minutes. You know, let's not take that away from them. They they, they played really well, 3-0 up, and then they, then they started to struggle a little bit the last half hour because they probably became a little bit complacent. They still got good enough players to be a oh, Jamez, out from the cold. Well, yeah, that's right. You've got Hamez out from the cold. You've got Bale that I think that it, it, it's great that he didn't go because he's got goals. That's one thing about Bale. Even if he's not involved in the game, you know that he can set up chances and he can score goals. Now, they've been relying on Benzema quite a bit to score goals since Ronaldo's left. Before that, it was Ronaldo. They've brought in Eden Hazard. He still hasn't found his feet. He's coming back from injury. So once he starts to find his feet, he will be good. Then in the midfield, you know, Modric is out, but he'll come back in. Um, Casemiro's looking good. I think their problem is at the back at the moment. I, I, I think Sergio Ramos is letting him down a little bit. I, I, I know that he's been performing really well for Spain, but for Real Madrid, and again, in the off-season, there was an issue because he wanted to go to China and um, Florentino, the president, said, well, you're not going without a transfer fee and uh, the Chinese don't play transfer fees. So th- this is where th- there was also that issue. And, you know, does he really want to be there? Is he upset with some of the comments that Perez made last year when they got knocked out of the, the Champions League? So still a little bit of unrest at Real Madrid. If they can get it right, they've got players to do really well. Maury, I'm changing the next question that I had up slightly because I was originally going to say to you, Nicholas Onabendi and John Stones are, but we know now this morning that John Stones is out for five weeks with a thigh injury. Mm. So I might change this to... Prep Guardiola's defensive socks at Manchester City are? Well, you, you put me on the hop there a little bit, just changing it there. <laughs> just breaking news cause, here cause on I the had, Look, I, I think that they miss company. You know, it's, uh, someone like Vincent Company, I know he, he struggled with, with, with injury and what have you last season, but to have such a, a leader 
at your football club and, and when he did come in and, and even with a push towards the back end of the, the EPL campaign, he scored a, a bomb. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just some players have that impact and influence on a, on a group and we, we're seeing, unfortunately, we're seeing less and less leaders of the game. Um, you know, is that why they're, they're, they were looking at going for Maguire because he he would have realised that he would have realised we're losing a Vincent Company because we can't afford to keep someone that's going to break down quite a bit, yeah. and um, and he probably does see that in in, in Stones and Otamendi they're not real leaders and you need that leader at the back. It's an interesting one because who do they play this week and uh, at the back? And, mm. and you'd think they would have to play uh, Fernandinho. The, Fern- uh, Fernandinho. Yeah, so because he's the only one that probably can drop back from midfield into the centre-back role. Um, we saw that, uh, you know, when Laporte got injured that it was going to be an issue and now even more so with Stones mm. injured. Yeah, and I think just, you know, being a, a central defender, uh, partnerships are very, very important and... You can't you can't be too similar as players to have a really good partnership, uh, and and you know like when the way that the sort of like City are not you know they've started off terrible, but obviously a few little mistakes creeping into to, to the game, and you know I think if you've got the right the the right partnership and you've got good leadership, uh, then those kind of things don't creep into the game, uh, and and for me it is a slight concern that that looks as if like. It is creeping into to City, and and now they're going to have a makeshift uh, backline with with the situation. Uh, you know, Pep said that he would have loved to have gone and brought in a Maguire, for example. But this season, City had no money, <laughs> <laughs> by all accounts. We'll spend too much money, and we're selling by financial fair play. So they're they're five points adrift of Liverpool, and they have to win every game through to the new year, and hope that Liverpool drop points to actually try and catch them. So this is great for the Dridal race because it's that little bit of drama, that little bit more of intensity, a few problems for City to solve. The next two games, Shakhtar away Thursday morning, 5am on Optus Sport, of course, and then midnight Saturday night against Watford. That'll be an entertaining one, and we will see how that plays out. Big questions. It's not too much to call it a crisis. He has a lot of questions on his hands. Oh, look, I don't think it's a crisis just as yet. Uh, they, of course, they need to hope <laughs> Liverpool drop some points. But, you know, Manchester City, we know, are good enough. And, and uh, the way that Pep uh, actually coaches his teams. But it's a big week for them because of the injury crisis that they have with uh, the two centre-backs out. Plus, travelling to Shakhtar. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's in the Ukraine. It, it's not. It's a, one of the furthest. Yeah, it's one of the, in Europe. Yeah, and and you know, it's different to us here in Australia. We're used to that travel. They're not used to it. And then they come back and you play a Watford that will gain a lot of confidence from their second half. And Kike Sanchez Flores is we know is a good coach. You know that he's smart tactically. So he he will be he will make sure that his team is organised enough to give City a, a good test. So on the back of Laporta going down and, and lots of talk this week about how good Roberto Firmino is, I was thinking of asking you guys, who was your most indispensable teammate? Yeah, this is a this is a really tough question, but I, I kind of think two players really really stood out for me that um, when I guess the team wasn't at a level and and you kind of need that bit of brilliance and somebody can change a game. It was two players, Paul Gascoigne and, and Brian Loudrup. Brian Loudrup uh, was a player that um, you know when the, when the game was tight and you just needed something different or you know whether it be he actually enjoyed assisting more than actually scoring goals and he could do both and, and do it very very well he you know he had that drag Johnny where he kind of he just glided by players they knew exactly what he was going to do very similar to his brother Michael uh, they were just beautiful on the ball and he, he could do some 
amazing things, as as could Paul Gascoigne. And the reason why I say that they are indispensable because in football matches, sometimes you know you might be a, a few players that, that maybe aren't at their top top level. Um, but you still have somebody in your team that can change and make something happen. That special player, and, and that's the reason why I've mentioned those two players. I'll stay with Australia, and I think that Harry Kuehl at his best, he was indispensable. And and we saw it also, not only uh, in the World Cup when, when he did play the qualifier against Uruguay when he came on, he really changed that game. He, uh, you could tell they were scared of him, but when he was running at players and uh, you know able to take on players, set up chances, we know that he could score goals as well. And we actually missed him against Italy. Now, when the Italians went down to ten men, we needed that player with that extra bit that could actually make something happen out of nothing. And Harry had that in his locker, and and it's very hard to find. You always have one or two in your side that can do it. And Harry for the Socceroos was that one player that could do it. It's kind of that X factor, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that, that real game changer. And, and certainly Harry was, uh, you know, he was a fantastic player and he, he really could change a game. He was brilliant on the left. I know he loved to play also up top through the middle as well, but he was he's, that's where I think he was at his best, yeah, Johnny, on I, the left. I agree. I think that's where he was at his best because he had that uh, – look, he, he wasn't a natural goal scorer that you play up front that he actually smelt, you know, whether the goal was in terms of, you know, if the keeper parried it, he was following in and getting those tap-ins. He was more that player that was out on the left that would arrive in the box late, very good in the air, not the tallest player, but his timing was very good. We know about his left foot, but he can also set up a lot of goals. And when he was playing out on the left, you didn't know whether, as a as a defender, whether they get close to him because then he could run in behind because he was quick. He did have pace, yeah, for sure. especially before his injuries. And then if you if you sat off of him, he was able to turn and run at you. And, and when he was 1v1, nine times out of ten he was beating the player. So, yeah, for me it was Harry Kuehl. And I still think I still remember back to the to the game when obviously I think uh, well they were teammates uh, Rio Ferdinand and the and the Australia v England yeah. match left him on his ass but he was I mean you're that talking was about strength that, and speed strength and speed you know and he just that was a quality and that, that, like I said we're talking about Rio Ferdinand here about who uh, H was making look a little mm. bit silly in that game. If we're ever having a quiet day at work on the Optisport Social, we'll just jump into the archives and find a Harry Kuehl goal or a Harry Kuehl highlights <laughs> package, and it always works a treat. Absolutely great stuff there. Um, speaking of Australians, Johnny, Yokohama, F. Marinos, four points off top spot in Japan. Different one for us to talk about this week, but what that that is... A credit to Ange. Unbelievable what he's been able to do. Look, we... Personally, we uh, I know him really well in terms of what uh, the way he works and and you know just sitting down and having conversations about football and uh, and Craig worked with him with the national team. We saw what he did. I think that he changed the the, the game here in Australia. I think that uh, the A League, you know, to a certain extent, the first five years was was pretty simple in terms of the tactics. Ange, when he went to Brisbane, it took him a little bit of time. And, and it's like at Yokohama. Yeah. But when he when he did get that time and he was able to bring in his players that could play his style of football, he showed that he played the best football that we've seen in this country and then ended up winning uh, two successive camp, uh, championships. And and the same he's doing at uh, Yokohama. Last year, they, they actually struggled. They finished they, 12th. Yeah, yeah, finished 12th. And, and they were lucky because uh, one or two more games and then they would have been right down mm. near the bottom and maybe getting relegated. But he, he recruited well. He recruited the players that he had to. He recruited a goalkeeper that could play out at the back. Um, 
I think that Angie is good enough to get to the top level of coaching. And I really believe that. Uh, whether he gets that opportunity or not because of you know, his background in terms of being an Australian, he didn't have a, a career in Europe as a player, so he might not get that opportunity. But if he does, what that does is open the pathway for other coaches to end up going overseas. Because I think we've got good Australian coaches here. Well, and Craig, and he's done that in the country that none of his players speak his language. Yeah, no, extremely uh, well-deserved. And he said that that was um, and is an ongoing challenge. Uh, but the belief um, of the style of football that he, he, he likes to play, um, it's, been, it's been evident in the way um, that Yokohama have performed. You also, you, you need to have, uh, I think when you're a coach and you need time and you need somebody to back you and support you because like I said, last season didn't, didn't finish the way maybe he would have liked to have finished. The, the club thankfully were patient, allowed him to recruit and bring in players that he believed could play the style of football that not only will, will suit him, but is a nice style for the football club. You know, uh, you, you had the, the pre-season game and, and Pep Guardiola coming out <laughs> and saying, and, and even Raheem uh, Sterling saying, this is the best team we've played in pre-season. That's, you know, that's big kudos. Uh, and I think, as, as John mentioned, it's not only important for players when they go overseas to do well because that opens doors and, and, and hopefully a conveyor belt of players to be able to go over it is important also for our coaches and and, and Ange I know for a fact is is loving every little minute that he's, he's spent out there in Japan he, he loves the uh, the structure he loves the, the daily challenge uh, and you're speaking with proper football sometimes we we get a little bit um, sidetracked in this country um, in terms of what is really important and uh, we can be a little bit negative at times and I think he's just enjoyed that freshness of being in a country where he's been able to sort of like implement and put things in place. Eight games to go and the last game, would you believe it, is against first place Tokyo. So watch this space. It's going to be a great title race and, and at minimum they're in the Asian Champions League position. So fascinating stuff. Hey, Western Sydney Wanderers New Academy. Uh, that is. Yeah, brilliant. That really raises the bar for the rest of the A League clubs, and uh, you know, and, and that's what the, every A League club should aspire to is to, to have facilities like that because you know it, it, we know about the you know the European facilities, especially over in the Premier League, and and the the players they've been able to bring through, and you hope with facilities like that, of course, you need good coaching, you need uh, players um, that you know can really buy into what they're trying to do and, and teach and, and, and they can bring through players but I think that that's raising the bar a lot. And very very important, very important for our game uh, I think to continue to, to develop, um, you know there's, there's a few clubs there, I mean we know that the, the Melbourne City have got a fantastic setup. Uh, you know from our time also in Brisbane, uh, the, the academy was set up there and the, you know they've now got a new training centre out at Logan which obviously uh, is very important because the club the club need, need a home uh, and then when you talk about then the coaches that can come in and develop those those kind of players that, that either are going to play for your first team or that you can start shifting these players overseas. I think that's the next step in Australian football. And uh, I think it's, you know, it is a positive sign. Western Sydney Wanderers have done a fantastic job and I kind of follow a, a lot of the, the youth stuff that's happened at a lot of clubs now and, and, and I know that they've got some fantastic young talent there. He said what? Back to England after the weekend, Granit Xhaka, after Arsenal's two-all draw with Watford, said, We were scared in the second half. We knew they would come at us and push us hard, but we have to show more character and not be scared. We have spoken about it. We cannot give a performance like this in the second half. 
Unai Emery, Arsenal, players being scared. Johnny, what's what's going on? What was said at half time? That's what I want to know. Now, of course, you have to actually uh, give your players a little bit of an idea of what might happen in the second half, how Watford might come out. But to to get the players scared, you know, was he too much about Watford? Was he too much that he changed something a little bit? I actually think that a, a player gets scared when he either. Uh, it, you know, doesn't really understand his role in the team. And, uh, and you know, is it because they're changing their system so much and changing personnel that the players aren't understanding their role? Look, we know about the mistake that they made in, in the terms of their build-up, but it wasn't just that goal. It was the whole second half. In total, Watford had 31 shots at goal. Mm. A record for Arsenal since stats have been kept. Yeah, so that, that, that's incredible. And, and I think that Emery has a big issue if if players are scared to play and you're talking about Arsenal you know you're not talking about a team that's a, you know low on the table that a team that uh, can't spend that money you're talking about a team that spent a lot of money in the off season and they're scared there's a big issue there either players aren't believing in what uh, Emery's saying or that they they're doing something wrong in terms of their tactics yeah, and, and probably something as well, slightly different to think about. And you would have experienced it, Johnny, when the, the, the clubs that you're at overseas, sometimes when the the foreigners uh, at times speak and you have a different language barrier and sometimes the interpretation of how uh, a quote can, can look, you know. But in terms of, you know, that kind of language and, and, and being scared, um, I think for any player or any, at any football club is, is, is not a good sign um, because... You know, you you go out with a belief that you can go and win every football match. Arsenal have got a fantastic football team going forward. They know they've got plenty of goals. Um, you know, the change and the this you know manager has come in and made a, a lot of changes now in terms of not necessarily what's on the field, although he has done that as well, but backroom staff as well. So when you do that, um, and and then you start to have players that that, that are coming out, it is a slight concern I, I i do agree with you but just sometimes sometimes like i says with the with the foreign players i know that they've gone back to internationals they've gone back they've done interviews it can be interpreted or translated mm. in different ways and, and and they're coming back to the clubs in the uk and the and, and the boss is dragging them into the office saying what's this all about well i did see jaka's interview and uh, and uh, look i know what you're saying about the language barrier he he did say that we, we were terrible in the second half, we were scared. All right, it's, it's normal that you're going to come out and say we didn't perform the way we did. But what is uh, interesting is Emery's language. Now, is is it that he struggles to find the words in English? Because I've seen his interviews and he's still struggling with, with you know his, uh, his answers. Sometimes he doesn't understand the question. Is his halftime team talk making him scared? I know that he's very um, energetic when he talks in, in terms in front of his group. Good evening, he says. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> does, does that get, does that get the, the players nervous? There's, there's all these factors. Look, we can't take anything away from Emery what he's done in the past in terms of winning trophies with uh, Sevilla, winning with PSG. G, but this is this is a different uh, kettle fish altogether because you're talking about Arsenal that has to be in the top four, if not challenging for the, the title, in a Premier League where most of the teams are, are very good. And Watford showed on the weekend that they are a team that should be mid table. They've got a good manager, and they completely outplayed Arsenal in the second half. Yeah, interesting times there. We've got a really interesting column on our website or on the Optusport app, I should say, as well, from our UK columnist Daniel Story. And, and the line I took out of that is that Emery is like a half-drunk dancer 
fluffing his moves. That's the language in the UK at the moment where all of a sudden, you know when the press pack rounds on a manager? Now it's Unai Emery and it's he's going to have to fight to get out of this one. Speaking of fights, by the way, did you see the uh, <laughs> the little the set two between Villa captain Jack Grealish and, sorry, between Tyrone Mings and Ahmed El Ghazi in the nil all draw they had on Monday Night Football where Villa captain Jack Grealish afterwards said, it's all handbags. Ty was saying Anwar didn't track his runner. We all put it to bed and they shook hands. We said as soon as we leave the dressing room, everyone's together. Best, best bust up you guys were involved with? Um, I've seen a few bust ups at the not only the training ground at half time, but the best one that I, I saw was Sava Milosevic, who was a big Serbian striker that played at Aston Villa, and he also played a hundred odd games with uh, the Serbian national team against Cengi Morales, who was the Uruguayan striker that scored oh. two goals against us. And now these are two beasts, and you, you're talking about it wasn't in a normal training session, eleven v eleven or five v five. It was a football tennis game, and they were both <laughs> at the net, and they were both competing for uh, balls in the air at the net and they were throwing elbows at each other and then we get back into the change room and we had to hold them back because they both went at each other now it wasn't one or two players holding them back there was about six or seven so two big boys <laughs> yeah the two big boys you were amongst it I, I kept the, my distance a little bit. I was actually playing in the football tennis game and I was just laughing because of the way they were challenging yeah look I'll be honest with you I, I've seen many Many like uh, it was, it's quite funny in Scotland because um, there's uh, there's a mindset of when something does happen, it happens very quickly. But in the dressing room the next day, it's it, it sorted out because you have a strong group of players that don't allow any a, any flow on. But the rule always in Scotland was throw a punch first and ask questions later. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I've seen you, that a lot, I'll be honest with you. And you abided by that? Oh, I, I stayed out of trouble. <laughs> I think it's important, though, that you try and let the players sort it out first. And then, you know, we, we had a couple in in, uh, in Brisbane, not, not throwing punches, but, you know, yeah, kicking each other and, uh, you know, arguing with each other. Then once you see that it's uh, it's getting a little bit out of hand, as a coach, then you can step in. Or you can make sure after training that everything's okay, either call the group in. Because sometimes you don't mind that, you know, in training because you know that they're, they're committed and, and they're winners and they want to win. Now, if, if you you pull it up too early, you can take away that uh, that commitment that they're showing. So it's uh, it's interesting knowing when to step in and when to yeah, stay Balancing away. act for a coach. Yeah, it is a balancing act, but it's important that you get that right. But it, it, it's much more powerful if the players uh, sort it out themselves because you know that you've got a strong group then. And, and that's right. The important thing is that, it's dealt with and it's move on uh, because otherwise, you know, you can have a, a an atmosphere or all of a sudden, you know, you, you can get cliques and you can get a divide and all of a sudden you're in big, big trouble. Uh, but from what, from what we did see, it, it, it did look like, do you remember it the, did look like handbags. Yeah, do you remember the Hartson and Berkovich one? Oh, <laughs> that was, that, but that wasn't a punch. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was incredible. You might've been too young, Dave, but that was, uh, it was uh, interesting. I wonder how Harry Redknapp dealt with that one. Yeah, no, very interesting because that, that, that got a lot of publicity at the time and, um, didn't look great, did it? No, it didn't look great. And that's another thing too. When cameras are around, and I think what Aston Villa have done, like Liverpool did last week with the Mane and with the Salah, put it to bed early. Mm. 
get out there on the front foot and make comments. If you if you actually hide and, and you and you say nothing, then it just can it can uh, it snowball it along, effect. Yeah. And and so I think that uh, Grealish coming out said, yeah, it's all dealt with. You know, we dealt with it in the change room. Once we're out of the change room, we're all friends again because we've got a strong group. Good captaincy there. Well, that is leading us into a huge. Well, you know what? There's actually live football every single day on Optus Sport this week. Of course, we've got Thursday morning's suite of games. The Paris Saint-Germain Real Madrid game is available for free for anyone. You don't have to be an Optus Sport customer. It's there for you to sample, as is the Braga versus Wolves game on Friday. Of course, we've got Manchester United in the Europa League as well. And then on the weekend, continues. Uh, the highlights, we pick out uh, Saturday night. Um, you've got uh, Crystal Palace against Wolves. Sorry, that's on the Sunday night. West Ham against Manchester United. Arsenal against Aston. Villa, Chelsea against Liverpool, and the round kicks off with Southampton against Bournemouth on Saturday morning at 5am, and Leicester versus Tottenham at 9.30pm. Who has time to sleep? There's no time to sleep. What's your highlight of the weekend, gents? What's your what's your big talking point or prediction? Oh, look, I think that um, all the games that uh, teams that have to recover from midweek Champions League or Europa League are going to be interesting because, you know, Tottenham have got Champions League and then they have to go and play Leicester, who Leicester didn't really perform like they would have liked against uh, Manchester United, both on eight points, both looking to break into that top six. Well, Tottenham will think that they they should be making Champions League uh, places and challenging for the title. Um, But Manchester City... How are they going to recover and play against Watford and how are they going to match up? Yeah, and look, I mean, every game, they're just, you know, I think, Johnny, you touched on it earlier on, that, that Watford coming back from, from two down against Arsenal. It's like, I'm no longer surprised with, with, with the results and, and certain performances because the, the, the depth across the league now is, is, so, is so strong on their good days, yeah? And if you make mistakes, normally you get punished. Uh, but I think it will be interesting to see, um, you know, Chelsea being back at home and... In the, in the in the league against Liverpool, I think that that'll be a fantastic matchup. Um, you know, Chelsea again slightly disappointed with what's happened in Europe. Liverpool uh, will be disappointed with the result, certainly not the the performance because it was a again it was still a good performance with maybe some individual, uh, well a couple of individual mistakes. First one with Robertson, I'll say you know the the referee could have easily given a penalty like he did, or he could have waved it away, and I don't think there would have been complaints either way. Um, the mistake from from Van Dyke, obviously, uh, he doesn't make many, uh, but he's shown that he is human. But I, I think that's an exciting game to see how we go with that one. Well, it's a fantastic piece of football over the next week. We cannot wait to tuck into it, gents. Let you go because you've got to set your alarms for the morning. Great to great to see you again. Good stuff. Try and get some sleep now. <laughs> you've <laughs> had too, a long morning. You've had too much coffee. You're not going to be able <laughs> yeah, to. That's true. <laughs> and to everyone else out there, I hope you enjoyed the show. And as always, until the next game pod, enjoy your football. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.